I want to invite you to imagine your life or the life of our church, perhaps, as like something green and growing, like something that has roots in a certain depth, in a certain kind of soil. That life is going to grow in proportion to the depth of its roots and the quality of the soil in which it finds itself. It can grow to be a spindly little stalk like that, that um, is barely making it, that uh, bears little fruit, that can easily be mangled or mowed down, or that life can grow into a massive oak tree whose branches stretch out to the world and provides a place of shade and seeding and help and hope for thousands and thousands of other lives, indeed seeds other life along the way. What kind of a life do you imagine for yourself or for your church? The story that we're going to begin studying today is of a very little seed that um, became a very big and remarkable kind of tree. The story we will look at in Scripture is at the very root of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. This particular uh, narrative um, is linked now to the faith uh, position of more than half of the world's population. It has played a dramatic role in shaping uh, vision and Uh, identity and a sense of mission uh, across the planet. It it is an epic narrative. It is a history-shaping story. And the tale opens up in a place called the land of Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. In centuries to come, this particular place will become the home of the Babylonians and then of the nation of Iraq. Genesis 11 Uh, where we start in our story, it tells us that this is the place where the famous or infamous Tower of Babel was built. How many of you remember the Tower of Babel story in the Bible? Babel was a, a symbol of human striving in a sense of human pride and arrogance, a humanity that wanted to make itself independent from God. The people of Ur, we know, worshiped the moon, In other words, they set their eyes on a mere reflection of the sun, the true source of of all life and light. They are worshiping an idol. They are worshiping something that can move their emotions, like the moon uh, and its gravitational pull moves the seas, but it does not have the power, this thing they worship, to make them truly flourish, to bring forth life in the way that the sun uh, or God himself does. In the land of Ur at this particular moment in time, only the descendants of God's noble servant Noah are still carrying the seed of faith in the one true God. And at the end of the very family line of uh, Moses is a man named Terah, whose name literally means moon. In fact, that's a dangerous sign because it suggests that even the faithful family of Noah is now surrendering to the idolatry. And, 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 and the spiritual unhealth of the surrounding world. And Terah, we know, has one son. 
Uh, he has a son named Abram, which literally means father, though it's an odd name for him because Abram and his wife Sarai are childless and they're entering into old age. So here's the scene. This is the foundation, the beginning of the story. As chapter 11 closes, the last little branch of the family tree of God's great servant Noah is withering away. And there is no seed left through which to bring forth a better kind of world. And the desert night is closing in, cold and dark. I tell you this story, which feels especially relevant to me, because as I look around at our world today, our nation today, it sometimes feels to me like we're living in the land of Ur ourselves. The ancient faith, which was such a source of flourishing in our national and our personal life, is fading from the memory of many people or has been forgotten altogether. More and more people are putting their hopes in idols, in moonshine, as it were. We hope again and again with each passing year that somebody will come along who will fix what is wrong, but they won't. We wish things would turn around. We keep hoping with every passing election cycle, things will turn around now, but they don't. And we ask ourselves sometimes as we look at the landscape today, where are the heroes like Noah? Where are the, the valiant servants and statesmen like seem to have been a part even of our own history's life over the years? Where are the, the kind of leaders that our world needs today? And then across the, the moonlit landscape, as it were, we hear a voice coming to us as it once upon a time came to the last of the line of, of Noah. And, and the voice says, I am calling you. I am calling you to be one of those leaders this time needs. Genesis chapter 12 reads, The Lord said to Abram, Go. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, a great people, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you step back from this story for just a moment and look at it with plain eyes, you have to see how crazy this call was on so many levels. Abram's life was very firmly planted. It was rooted and established in the land of Ur. This country was where his people were. This is the land of his ancestors. This is where his father's wealthy household was. Everything that Abram likely associated with security and significance and satisfaction in life is in this ground right here in the land of Ur. But the Lord said to Abram, and I repeat, 
Go. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. In other words, pull up your roots from the soil in which they've been planted and go. Wow. Does God still issue calls like that, do you suppose, to the people of our day? It strikes me that the story of Abraham and Sarah is especially worth studying because it raises three crucial questions that every one of us would benefit from thinking about and then answering honestly. And the first of those questions is simply this. Where am I rooted? Think about that for yourself, personally. Where am I rooted? What's the land? What's the soil? What's the sustaining stuff in which my life is truly planted? If truth be told, some of us will struggle to answer that question because our lives are a little bit rootless. It is easy, especially today, at the pace of life, to become like a tumbleweed, in a sense. We, we skim across, roll across the surface of life. We go a lot of places. We bump into a lot of people and all kinds of things, but we don't really send down roots at all. We don't make big commitments. We don't get tied down. We have a lot of freedom, but not much flourishing. That's the interesting thing about tumbleweeds. They get lots of parts in Western movies, but they don't bear much fruit. Any fruit, actually, that I can think of. Some people are like that. Others of us are, 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 have what I would call restless roots. We, we're the kind of people who, who care about uh, putting our roots into the ground someplace. We send out all kinds of tendrils of ourself into organizations and activities and, and purchases and uh, environments of many kinds. We value this a little bit. We lend our support to that a little bit. We are well diversified as we seek uh, our significant security and satisfaction in life. We're diversified, but we're not deep. And there is no real flourishing. There is no ability to make other people flourish until we go deep. Some of us are deep. Some of us have what I would call misplaced roots. We keep rooting our hopes in life in the next pleasure, the next product, the next policy or politician. But we're rooting ourselves, maybe we're starting to realize it, in sand in that which can't really give life in the way that we want it. We need better soil for our lives. Some of us do. The good news that is proclaimed by the scriptures is that better soil, better ground is available to every one of us. It's available. The Bible teaches that God wants us, urges us, commands us even to root our lives more deeply in him, specifically in his love, the scripture says. 
And by the word his love, the Bible means the rich soil of all of the goodness of God and his, his life. And when we speak of God's love, it means his presence. It means his power with us. It means his promises to us. It means his provision for us. It means his plans for us and for others. This is what the Bible means when it speaks of the love of God. It's the wholeness. It's the fullness of all it is that God wants to do in us and for us and through us. We're invited by God to root ourselves deeply in his love. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Ephesians chapter 3, a theme verse for the this whole series we'll be doing. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. And when the Bible talks about knowing, it's not a head game. It's a personal experience, an energizing reality. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge of that kind. Why should we seek to root our lives more deeply than they may be today in the person of Jesus Christ and his love? Paul goes on to answer that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. Sometimes we come to church or we embark upon the life of faith with ambitions that are too small. We think, I'll go to that place and I'll get a little encouragement for my day. I'll get an insight on our times. I'll learn something from the scriptures. I'll sing a wonderful song or hear inspiring music sung to me, sometimes we come for all of those legitimate good reasons. They're just nothing close to all that God actually has in mind for us as he brings us into communion with him and with one another. God's desire is to do nothing less than to flow through us all of the power and the potential for living and loving that he has. He wants to give us all the fullness of God himself. That's his plan for us. So think about the soil in which you're planted. As you go about your life this week, really sit with that question. Where and in what ways am I rooted? What do I do do that establishes those roots? And in what kind of soil? Then secondly, ask yourself this question. Am I willing to grow from where I am right now? You may answer the first question and say, I'm rooted in Christ. I'm doing fine. Thank you, Dan. I've got it covered. I'm asking you this question. Are you willing to keep growing? To really grow? Let me be very blunt. Many people just play at discipleship at least from the perspective of Jesus himself. There there are many of us, I've been one of them in seasons of my life, so I'm not throwing stones here, who are mainly interested in trying to gain fire and life insurance for when we die. There are a lot of people that show up at church 
for that reason, just to cover my bets. That's probably not you, but some people get into that mindset. Or people come to church because they're admirers of Jesus. I like hearing about what Jesus does, but they have no real intention of forgiving their enemies and sacrificing their life. They're not interested in following Jesus, really. They're just great admirers of him. What is the truth about your discipleship right now? How would you estimate it or evaluate it? Because if you really want to grow to all the fullness of God, and I hope you do, then like Abram, you need to go. You need to keep going on the journey. In the days ahead, you need to follow where God leads you by the power of his spirit, even if where he seems to be leading you feels somewhat scary, and it's going to feel scary. Growing requires going, is what I'm trying to say to you. Now, we get a vivid picture of, of, of this kind of courage in the encounter that God has with Abraham. God says, go to the land that I will show you. And if I'm Abram, I'm responding, okay, where is this land? Is the weather there nice? Well, I like it. Is there a Costco there? A good sports team? You know, these are the things that we want to know about before we answer God's calling in life. And God uh, just goes out and says, like I said, I will show you. You just go. Later on, God says to Abram and Sarah, I'm going to give you a son, just like I promised. I'm going to make a great nation through you. And I imagine them saying, okay, God, can we talk about this? About when exactly this is going to happen so we can schedule it. We like to be organized. We need time to get the crib and paint the nursery. I mean, besides, how are you going to do this? Have you not noticed We're really, really old. And again, God simply says, without explanation, I've got a plan. You just go to the land that I will show you. Some of us never experience the adventure, the genuine joy and growth of discipleship because we're unwilling to go. Uh, we, are, we are as far as we're going in the journey. We're committed to controlling this whole thing. Uh, we're okay with the idea of having God as our spiritual GPS system. You know, you know what kind of system I'm talking about. Where God takes us where we want to go. Boop, 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 boop. Thank goodness for the voice that corrects me. When I'm not going where I want to go, that's not discipleship. That's not at all discipleship. Until we're committed to going where God wants us to go. He's not our Lord yet. He's not our Lord yet. And we will not experience the fullness of the blessing that he has in mind. If you go back and you read Genesis 11, you discover that the chapter ends... And I encourage you to do that today. The chapter ends with with Abram's entire family, led by Father Terah, uh, going off on a journey towards the land of Canaan. 
That's good. They're, they're making progress. They're responding to the call. But somewhere along the way, the travelers start to lose hope or they start to get a little nervous about this or it starts to cost too much to them. And so they pull over at a rest stop called Haran. And you could just imagine Abram Uh, you know, walking away and having a conversation with God about this. God, it's hot as blazes out here in the desert. I mean, where are the gardens of Ur? It's really miserable out here. And and, and I'm telling you, my people, if they they have to eat one more lizard and cactus burger along the way here, I'm telling you, they're quitting. This isn't working. They're begging me, God. They're begging me. Please, let's go back to Ur. Or let's just settle down here permanently. In Haran. And and God basically goes on to say to Moses, or to Abram, it's it's the conversation really that's unpacked in chapter 12. God basically says, okay, Abe, I get it. Those people are done. They don't want to grow anymore. They don't want to go anymore. I get that. But you go on, okay? Because I'm calling you. You go. You root yourself more deeply in me. I'll be your stable ground. I'll be the way, the truth, the life for you. You just keep going to the land that I'm going to show you. You're going to face a lot of those moments, those conversations with God if you're a disciple. You're going to find yourself at various moments in your marriage, in your family life, at school, in your workplace, uh, in your private life, in your public life. You're going to find yourself at a place where you think to yourself, I've gone far enough. I'm tired. I want to stop right here at this rest stop or I want to turn around and just go back to the way things were before. You're going to have to make a decision because a lot of other people, they're quitting all around you. They're not into this journey of discipleship. And you're going to have to decide, will I do as they are doing or will I choose to keep rooting myself first and foremost in God? Will I settle down here as other people are doing or am I willing to keep growing by going wherever God leads? Disciples are made in these moments, okay? That's what I want to say to you. It's not actually in church that disciples are made. It's out there on the journey That disciples are made. It isn't faith if you're not following. It's not faith yet until we actually follow wherever He leads us. At the end of the day, maybe the most crucial question, I find the most motivating question, is. How many branches do I want to extend? You know, that's the promise God makes to to Abram. I'm going to extend so much life through your life if you follow me. What's your vision for flourishing? Really? What do you want your legacy in life to be? What do you want the ripple effect to be from your having been on this land, on this ground of this precious earth. 
God had this staggering vision for Abram and Sarah. If they would root in themselves in him and just keep on going, God would extend branches from their family tree that would change the course of history. It would bring forth a Messiah. It would alter civilizations. And it did. You and I are are having this conversation because of the decision that those two ordinary people made in response to the call of God 4,000 years ago. Think of the canopy of the branches that spread out from the seed of that faith. Here's the bottom line. And I'm going to move us to a close. God's not done doing this. He is not. This is not an ancient history book. It's a manual for living today. God God wants to fill people up now to the fullness of his nature. He wants to extend blessing to other people through him. He wants more people to come to know him and to worship him and to find life eternal and life abundant. God wants more children and even more families lifted up out of poverty in Africa and on the Roosevelt Road and lots of other places around this world. God wants more vital churches to spring up on the American landscape to bring about the spiritual renewal we so obviously need in our time. And knowing what you do, what you actually know about the heart of God, is there any doubt that he would want this? More people saved more people walking and worshiping with him, more people lifted up and flourishing, more churches thriving. Is there any doubt in your mind that this is exactly what he wants? And could it be that he wants you and me to be the vessels through which he brings about that reality? I think the answer is yes. A very enthusiastic yes. Before God can move out there, he's got to move me. He's got to move you and me. We've got the same choice that Abram and Sarah had, if you think about it. We can stay right where we are. We can hold on to our temporary securities. We can focus on ourselves. We can then wonder why we're not experiencing the joy we want, why the world's not changing in the way that we want to see it change, or, or, or we can follow God on the greatest adventure of faith we've ever personally taken, or maybe our church has ever ever taken. We can follow him where he says to go. I can't not emphasize enough the significance of that journey. There are people already I'm talking to who think, oh, it's about bricks and mortar and dollars. Let me tell you this. If somebody came up to me right after this service and, and pulled out their checkbook and wrote me a check for the total amount of the goals of this campaign, we'd all praise God. So if you were thinking of doing that, please feel free to see me. 
after the service. But we'd still go on this journey together. We'd still plunge ourselves heart and soul into this amazing story together and pray for God to speak to each and every one of us together. My prayer is that every single one of us will seek in these days to come to root themselves more deeply in Christ and to grow up in his fullness for the purpose of extending his blessing to thousands and thousands of other people that need those blessings the way once upon a time we did. So let me say in closing, do you know what I love about God? So much, actually. I love a lot about God. But especially this. God never asks of us what he would not do or has not already done himself. As we're going to see in our study ahead, Abram and Sarah, what they do imperfectly, Jesus comes along one day and does flawlessly. When the Heavenly Father pointed out the brokenness of the earth, of his creation, and the Son of God saw this, he said, I will go, I will go and address that need, Father. He left his familiar comforts. He left behind all of the glory of a land way beyond Ur in order to come to this world. He became homeless in order to help us find our true home. He gave up everything to give us everything. He became like one of us so that we could become like him. We could find his fullness in our lives. And now he invites us to draw closer to him. Even closer to him than we were when we walked in today. He invites us to come close to his heart. To feel his heart beating for us and for our world. And he is asking us, follow me. Follow my lead. Follow me in a bold and a beautiful way and watch what I do through you, through your church. Will you join Amy and me and the other leaders of Christ Church in going on that journey and opening yourself up to our God? Because if you are open to taking that journey, I welcome you to bow your head with me and to offer this prayer that I hope will be your frequent prayer in the weeks ahead. Let's bow our heads. Gracious and generous God, help us to root our lives more deeply in you for the sake of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.